0: right. well this evening we are looking at the second in our catechism, the second and main point of our catechism of the true God, of the true God. I'll read the confession, excuse me, not catechism, confession, I'll read what the confession says and then we'll look at what the word says. This is the New Hampshire Confession of Faith, section two of the true God. We believe that there is one and only one living and true God, an infinite intelligent spirit whose name is Jehovah, the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth, and expressly glorious in holiness and worthy of all possible honor confidence and love, that in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Amen. As we look at today's section in the catechism, I think we go over catechism the catechism. Now, confession uh, we see that today we're looking at uh, of the true God and as we're dealing with this topic let's let's right from the beginning say that there is no way that any of us can fully and rightly explain God completely Amen. okay he's he's incomprehensible in so many ways uh, so what the confession does and what other confessions do, They don't try to solve the problem of who is God, but they just repeat what scripture says about what God has revealed about himself. Now there's a difference between that and what the cults do. The cults try to explain God away. So Jesus can't be God, he has to be the archangel Michael, because they can't comprehend how there could be a trinity, how there could be one God and yet three distinct persons in that one God. So the confession doesn't try to uh, give a, a, an explanation, as it were, about who God is. It's just uh, revealing, it's just uh, proclaiming what the scriptures say concerning God. Uh, the confession is like a guard on this in this area. Um, and, and one thing in passing that's important about our topic today, this is something that the Roman Catholics don't have a disagreement with us about concerning the nature of God in the Trinity. But whereas last week when we looked at the scriptures, uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith goes into immense detail because, why? why? If you remember the second half of the London Baptist Confession, it talks about it states all the books of the Bible. Why do you think that is? Because the Catholic Bible has more, more books. Right, because they have the Apocrypha. So, so in, in the Confession, in the London Baptist Confession, it's purposefully stating out all the inspired books of the Bible, and that's a direct opposition to Romanism. That's a direct opposition. That's that's opposition to the pope and to the Catholic Church in saying, this is what the scriptures say concerning its own testimony. Well, here, when we talk about who God is, there would be no conflict with them. But we would have conflict with the cults in this area. And and if we have time, we'll get to some of the creeds uh, that were written. At least I'll mention them to you so you can look at them. Um, but our confession this, this evening, it says, we believe that there is one And only one living and true God. Before we get into outlining some of the things that I have here, the first thing I want to point out that I've written here is we don't need to prove that God exists. Okay. Uh, The scriptures are not trying to prove that God exists. The scriptures are merely declaring that God exists and there's a difference. Uh, So when we're out communicating the gospel to people, we just have to declare what God has spoken about himself in the word of God. Um, we don't have to prove that God exists. And the confession doesn't try to do that, nor does the Bible, right? Genesis 1, right? In the beginning, God said. It's presupposing that God exists, right? It's not looking into evidence and going into different spheres of knowledge. Just saying, God exists. In the beginning, this is what he did. And the same thing goes with the confession. It says, we believe that there is one God and only one living and true God. Uh, So the first thing we see here is that we don't have to prove that God exists. Now, that doesn't mean uh, we we don't partake in apologetics, uh, giving a defense for the faith. But our defense from the faith needs to come from the inspired word of God. We don't have to abandon the Bible when we're standing in front of our atheist friends or family members. This is what God has said. This is what God will do for those who don't uh, bow down to him. And this is what God prescribes for people to get right with him, right? Uh, If someone, and this is a weak analogy, but I was thinking about this. Uh, If someone tells me about Mack trucks and I say, well, I don't believe in Mack trucks. It doesn't matter whether I believe in Mack trucks. Mack trucks are real and they exist, right? You can tell me all the information you want about Mack trucks, but at the end of the day, they exist and they're real. Well, that's a weak analogy in comparison to the being of God. God exists, period. And you remember Romans 1, uh, that, that men suppress the truth. They know the truth, but they suppress it. Their conscience speaks to them, knowing that there is a God, and yet they suppress the truth. So our unbelieving friends know that there is a God but they create new gods in their own hearts so they don't worship the true and living God. Um, so we don't have to prove that God exists. Uh, secondly, everything we need to know about God has already, has already been revealed to us in the Word of God. So everything we need to know about God has been revealed to us in the Word of God but Theologians have this phrase. There's two books. What are the two books? There's the Word of God and what else? Remember. No, well, no, no. The two books. We learned this today. I'm, taught, I'm teaching Ruth, Psalm 19. We say, Ruth, God speaks through creation. God speaks through the Bible. Yeah. We say, repeat after me. God speaks through creation. God, right? There's two books. God speaks through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? He speaks through that book. That's what we call general revelation, right? Everyone knows that there's a God. They're accountable to that God. But we have special revelation, which is the Bible, where God has clearly communicated to us who this God is and how we can know him. Uh, The full revelation is that as we look at creation, we can't see that we need to put our trust in Christ, but we can see that God is not like us, that he's holy, and that uh, uh, you know, he, he's in control of all things. That should cause us to cry out, what must I do to be saved? And we have the word of God which tells us, everyone who looks or calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. So, everything we need to know about God has already been revealed to us in the Word of God, fully and completely, but we also have God's general revelation in His creation. So, uh, we cannot fully know about God and His ways, but everything we need to know about God has been fully revealed to us through His Word. Uh, So with that statement, Deuteronomy 29, 29, Uh, I'll I'll, I'll read the verse, but it's a very familiar one for us. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. So uh, there, there is a secret and hidden knowledge of God that none of us Will ever have access to. But God has revealed Himself, this text says, He's revealed Himself to us uh, that those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children. He's completely revealed Himself through the Word of God. So this is for us, His covenant people, those who are born again, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. And notice for our children. So this is something that, this is a faith that we're supposed to pass down generation to generation to generation. Um, and 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 this is everything that God has revealed for us in his word is what we're supposed to pass down. Uh, we're supposed to know this word, and pray this word, and sing this word, and share this word, and proclaim, proclaim this word, and declare this word. Um, this, this is what we're supposed to pass down from generation to generation. Um, so we have that. Everything we need to know about God has has already been revealed to us. Um, God is incomprehensible and yet knowable. God is incomprehensible and yet knowable. Um, His ways are not our ways. He's way. He he he's. Uh, I forget the verse in in Job, but um. Uh, you know, we can't fully grasp the mind of God. Uh, it's like, it's like a, a baby uttering gibberish when we try to explain the depths of who God is. He's just so beyond us. Any, any vast of knowledge, anything we learn about God is always only scratching the surface about God. That's how big God is. So let that be a a humble pill when you think you know a lot about the sovereignty of God or uh, the sinfulness of man. We do. Everything God wants us to know has been revealed to us through his word. But God is so much more sovereign than our minds could ever fathom. We're so much more sinful than we really know so we see God, is, God and his ways are incomprehensible, yet he's knowable. He's revealed himself to us through the word of God. We can actually speak to God, right? And, and he speaks back to us. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Right. Let me give you an example. I'm praying in the morning. Before I open my Bible and I say, God, speak to me, I need a word from heaven, God. O Lord, thou hast searched me and know me. Yes, God. Now I speak back to God. Yes, God. You know me. You search me, God. After I finish speaking, God wants to speak to me some more. Thou knowest my down and my uprising, and understandeth my thoughts afar off. You get the point? God speaks to us through the word of God. That's how we communicate with God, by prayer, and that's how he communicates to us through the word of God. Amen. So he's knowable. We can know about this holy God. Let me read you a quote. This is a fairly lengthy quote, but it's important, and and I think it'll help us with this this topic. Louis Burkhoff says this, Reformed theology holds that God can be known, but that it is impossible for man to have a knowledge of him that uh, that is exhaustive and perfect in every way. To have such a knowledge of God would be equivalent to comprehending him and this is entirely out of the question. Furthermore, man cannot give a definition of God in the proper sense of the word, but only a partial description. A logical definition is impossible because God cannot be sub uh, submit subs, no, what's this word? Uh, subsub, submitted under some higher genius. At some time, it is... Uh, Maintain that man can obtain a knowledge of God that is perfectly adequate for the realization of a divine purpose in the life of man. However, true knowledge of God can be acquired only from the divine self-revelation and only by the man who accepts with childlike faith, who accepts him with childlike faith. Religion necessarily presupposes such a knowledge. And this is the last quote. Uh, It is the most sacred relation between man and his God, a relation in which man is conscious and in absolute greatness and majesty of God as the supreme being and of his own utter insignificance and subjection to the high and holy one. And he goes on to say some other things. Uh, The point is, you want to define God? It's inadequate. It's inadequate to fully and rightly and comprehensively define who God is and yet he speaks to us through his word and tells us what he's like and we're going to look at that some more in a moment so uh, what can we know about God what are some things that we can know about God and I have a few things outlined here that we can know about God and I'll look at some scriptures with you all this evening The first thing is the oneness of God. Our confession says this. There is one and only one living and true God. So there is only one God, right? This is is the first thing that that the scriptures tell us. Uh, In the beginning, God. Not God's, God. In the beginning, God. So there's only one God, right? Now, uh, there are multiple gods Paul says, but he goes on to say, they're not gods at all, right? So, so he's saying, gods don't really exist, but to you it's a god, but there are no other gods because there's only one god. And isn't it amazing, brothers and sisters, we know him. Why? Because we were smart enough? No. No. <coughs> There's only one God. He's revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself through the word of God. Men are blind and cannot see unless their eyes are open. And this evening, we can sing songs to the one and only true God, grace. It's the grace of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the mercy of God. His loving compassion toward us who deserve nothing but his wrath. And receive everything in his son Jesus Christ. So we can know this God. Let me read you, let me read you a few passages. This is Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one. Now interesting. There's one God. We're going to get to this, right? One God, but the word God in the Hebrew language is plural. So there's one God who has uh, revealed Himself in three distinct persons. Now we see this all throughout the scriptures. um, And there are many examples. Uh, In Genesis, well, throughout the Bible, God is known as the Creator. Uh, Jesus in the New Testament is known as the Redeemer. And the Holy Spirit is known as the sanctifier, right? The one who sanctifies. But although that's true, and it is, there are times in scripture where Jesus is the one who creates. So who created the world? God the Father did. God the Son did. God the Holy Spirit did. Right? Who's the one that redeems Christ? Christ went to the cross. God is the one, God the Father is the one who sent him. The Holy Spirit is the one who awakens men. They all have different offices, but all of them are one. And we're going to get to that. Um, there's, there's some great, great uh, confessions and, 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 and statements said by a lot of people concerning this topic. So let me read you another passage. This is 1 Corinthians 8, 4. It says, as concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is is none other God but one. Verse uh, verse 6, but to us there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we are in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we by him. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 He turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That was us, brothers and sisters. Now we serve the true and living God. So the first thing we see is the confession tells us there's one God, one living and true God, which means that when the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on the door and the Mormons are riding their bikes in the street, there's a conflict of interest, right? somebody's misrepresenting God, who is it? Well, if they have a different gospel and a different Jesus, then they are. Now, we need to engage in apologetics, take them to the word of God and show, uh, there there is only one God, Jehovah says, right? And Jesus says in the New Testament, Uh, that that he is God. Thomas bows down and says, oh my Lord, my God. So we need to be adequate enough and know the word well enough so that when we're standing in front of cults uh, or atheists, we're able to clearly communicate what we believe and why we believe it. But, unfortunately, what is it that we often do? The Jehovah's Witnesses knock on the door. I'm just telling myself. So we not going to knock on the door. I'm going to peek. Right? Because we're with our families, we don't want to be bothered. We're not, we don't like conflict. We don't want to get into arguments. Brothers and sisters, we need to repent. Now, when I say we need to repent, that doesn't mean we're always going to be free to have a long discourse with the cults. But we need to be willing, right? We love to quote the verse, the kingdom of God is on the offense, not the defense. Right? And that's a true statement. It is. When's the last time we were on offense? Uh, I I was going to speak to a brother yesterday. He said the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on doors in his neighborhood. And he goes right behind the doors that they knocked on and explains the gospel to those people and says, that's a lie. And then he goes. He went on to tell another story that when he's at this guy from New York, when when he's at the train station and he sees the the Mormons, he goes he goes to them. Like he he walks in their direction. Brothers and sisters, we know the Word of God. We serve the true and living God. Um, And so, what we need to do better at in our churches is well equip the people. And what we need to do better at as Christians is bury our face in the book know the word of God, hide the word of God in our hearts, so that we're burning with passion to see the one and only true living God glorified as we open our mouth and proclaim his name. That's our desire. So we serve this one and true living God. Secondly, God is infinite. Uh, The the confession tells us God is infinite. He's endless and immeasurable. So God is infinite and holy. so the second thing the confession tells us is the attributes of God. It says an infinite, intelligent spirit, inexpressibly glorious in holiness. Uh, so, so God is uh, endless and immeasurable. He's a spirit, right? Uh, non corporeal. So when the scriptures when the scriptures say um, God with His nostrils smelled, right? It's using that metaphor so that we can. Comprehend uh, what God—the the picture of what God is doing when He receives our offerings—but it isn't that God has a nose. Right? God, God doesn't have nostrils. God doesn't have a hand. He's a spirit, right? So, so this is this is a being that is unlike us. This is a being that this is a person that that we will have to give an account for on that day. And praise the Lord, Jesus took the wrath that we deserved on our behalf. But that isn't the case with the family members we know and the friends that we know. And we can't save them, but we can be faithful to do what God has called us to do with what we have in our hands to do, uh, with the resources that we have. This is an infinite, intelligent spirit. So when you're praying, right, God doesn't have to... you. You, you don't have to... Uh, well, let, me, let me read the verse. I'll be better at doing that. Um, this is Jer- uh, Jeremiah 23, 24. It says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? So this is an endless and immeasurable God who is completely and perfectly holy. Holy brothers and sisters. Inexpressibly glorious in holiness. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and our great power and of great power. His understanding is infinite. So he's mighty in power, but he's infinite in understanding. So when you bring your request to God, he hears. But not only does he hear, he cares. And not only does he care to the degree that he hears, but he knows what you haven't even said yet. This is the God we serve. Who declared that he will have the nations as his reward so he hears our prayer and yet you see in the Psalms, the psalmist says Lord give ear to my cry oh God this is who he's praying to give ear to my cry oh infinite and uh, what's the word here inexpressibly glorious holy God and if he's inexpressibly glorious in glorious and holiness, what kind of people are we to be? We're to be people who look like Christ. And so we see God is infinite and holy. God is one, and he's living, and he's the only true and living God. But then it goes on and says that his name is Jehovah. His name is Jehovah. So we are the Jehovah's Witness. Amen? Amen. We are. His name is Jehovah. We serve him. Uh, we'll move a little quicker on this. Uh, the, the confession also goes on to say, it talks about not only the name of God. This is interesting. Again, again, how can we know God's name if he doesn't tell us? The Ten Commandments God gives to his people, he takes them out of a nation that served many gods. So he, he has to tell them, this is who I am. Otherwise, you wouldn't know who I am. And you wouldn't be worshiping me, although you ought to be worshiping me, because I'm worthy of worship. So I'm going to tell you about myself so that you can rightly do what I've designed you to do. So, brothers and sisters, what a privilege that when we enter our prayer closet and when we go to people to talk about who Jesus Christ is, we really know him because he's revealed his name to us. Jehovah. Yahweh And remember Moses to Pharaoh uh, Who should I say sent me? Tell him I am sent me The self-existing self-sustaining one I am sent you now Moses I can imagine was timid because he sees Pharaoh and, and, and the authority that he is but he serves the only and true living God. You see, you see how that could bring a little boldness, mm-hmm. right? A little pep in our step when it comes to our witness, Amen. right? Not that we have anything to boast at in ourselves, but the God of armies is on our side. This is the God we serve. I have to rebuke my soul. When I get scared of little things right after a big victory, that happened to you? God, I just witnessed the ten guys I'm scared to witness to this one. We need to be reminded, right? This is the God we serve. He's in control of all. Moving on. The sovereignty of God. It says, the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth. He is the maker and supreme ruler of heaven and earth. Um, Let me read you the the Westminster here very quickly. It says very similar. um, It says this. uh, There is one, there is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being, and perfection, and most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own, immutable, and most righteous will. That's the God we serve the Lord of all the earth shall do what is right we have to remind ourselves of that And the very breath where we utter the words God how could you follow right behind that is Lord forgive me forgive me God your ways are so much higher than mine And why do you do what you want to do? Because it brings you the most pleasure, God. If it didn't bring him the most pleasure, then he wouldn't be God. Because there would be someone else who should be receiving more pleasure. He deserves all the pleasure and the glory. And so whatever he chooses is best for us, his people, whom he loves, then that's the best thing. Confession says he's the maker and the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. So we don't need to fear what's taking place in the political realm. He's the maker and the creator of heaven and earth. He's ruling, he's reigning, he's in control right now. So we can trust him, we can believe him, we can depend on him. And he's supreme. There's none other that can take his reign there's no one in the next four years after him that's going to take the seat that he sits in. He forever reigns. Forever. Praise God. Well, the confession goes on. We we're just touching on these briefly. The confession goes on. This maker of heaven and earth, the supreme ruler, is, listen to this, and rightly so, worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. He's worthy of all this. Worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. So we need to uh, tune our hearts to the word of God so that we think this way by default. This needs to be our natural bent And and that happens, not fully in this lifetime, but it happens as we renew our minds through the reading of God's word, through the studying, through the meditating, through the sharing, through the singing, through the proclaiming of God's word. And little by little, as you look back you say, man, I look more like Christ in this area, in this area, in this area. He's worthy. And then that's when you just can't stop shouting praises. No, you don't know He's worthy. If you would have known who I was and what I did and what I thought and where I was and where I'm at now, He's worthy. Hallelujah! And then you start getting praise, right? We got to be crazy. But brothers and sisters, unfortunately, that way of speaking and thinking and acting is too radical because we're too proper. But if he is who he says he is, then he's worthy of much more than what we just proclaimed. Isn't it? Yeah. Now that don't mean you got to shout. I'm not saying shout. That may not be your personality. But you know how we can shout? By the way we live our lives. Mm-hmm. We can cut sin and hack it in pieces because he's worthy. That's right. We can rip up old numbers. We can not go down some streets. Mm-hmm. We can start calling family members who mocked us and made fun of what we believe, and we can start doing things for the glory of God. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. Worthy. Worthy of all possible honor. So think of your life, and how can you bring God the most honor? He's worthy of it, but he's worthy of all possible honor. So you can't bring God honor enough. That's right. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This we're going to be doing this for eternity, brothers and sisters. We won't run out of ideas to give Him honor because He doesn't stop, right? He, he's, he's all honorable uh, and He's you know, worthy of all confidence. So we we can fully and completely put our confidence in this God, and He's worthy of all love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's worthy in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, in our, right? So so he's worthy to get up early in the morning to study the Bible. And he's worthy for you to go overseas to be massacred. He's worthy. And everything else in between, he's worthy of. He's worthy. He's worthy. Well lastly the confession talks about the unity of God. The unity of the Godhead, this is what the confession says, the unity of the Godhead there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct but harmonious offices in the great work of redemption. Um, so much to be said, but let me encourage. This is just a word of encouragement to fathers. Okay. Say, "By that not a father." Husbands. By that one. I'm not married yet. Men. Right. This is trickle it all down. If you're not a man yet, young boy. Right. We'll just cover all our bases. Okay. I'm not going to say adolescent. Uh, but in all seriousness, I want to say this because I'm going to use an illustration here. It is our role and responsibility as men to be the pastors of our home, to be the priests of our home, to be the shepherds of our home, to be the leaders of our home. So, with that being said, and this isn't a sermon on family devotion, but I do want to say this in passing. We have the opportunity if we have children in our home, or if you plan to have children in your home, we have the opportunity not to talk about passing our faith down to generations, but to actually be in the process of doing it. How so? Through communicating to our young children the word of God. And husbands and men, that starts with us. If 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 this is something that we're not doing now. We can't romanticize what we have if we ever have three or four, 10, 20, 30 children. We need to be faithful now where God has us, right? So the reason I mention that, let me give you an example because I love the way the catechism, the children's catechism puts it. Um, Are there more gods than one? No. There's only one God. Right? There's only one God. You know what's funny? This is sad. My two-year-old knows that. But there's a bunch of people in our churches that don't know that. That's sad. And I'm not. my daughter knows it in repeating it. But brothers and sisters, there's people in our churches who aren't two years old, but they might as well be in the faith. These are truths that we have access to. God has revealed himself to us. And please, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. With to God, we all strive for him more. All of us. All of us. And that's that's what I want to stir up in us. That that we know him. He's revealed himself to us through the word of God. We can actually know him. So let's give our lives to knowing him. And he clearly communicates himself to us. So the Catechism says... Are there more gods than one? No, there's only one God. And how many persons does this one God exist? And three persons, who are they? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. What if we had all our children understanding that? What if we had them saying that? Then we could be passing down this faith from generation to generation to generation. But when we talk about the Trinity in closing, there's only one God who exists in three persons, each with distinguishing personal properties. Goes on. The only reason, and I wrote this one, that's why I didn't like it, but the, the, the only reason why we can even speak about this subject and comprehend any of it is because God has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. No one in the Trinity is greater, no one person in the Trinity is greater than the other person in the Trinity. So we can pray, now the scriptures say, pray our Father who is in heaven. So we are to uh, pray uh, to God in the name of Christ by the help and the aid of the Spirit. But because God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are all one. You can pray to Jesus. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. The, those are, so it's not like oh sorry God the Father or sorry God the Son, but I'm having a time with God the Holy Spirit today. They're all one, right? Three distinct persons. Now the Scripture. You know, Jesus is praying to the Father, right? Our Father, who he teaches his disciples, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Um, So on and so forth. But the important point is, no one in the Trinity is greater than the other person in the Trinity. This is a quote. Godhead Godhead is possessed by all three persons equally. It is by virtue of this that God is unity in Trinity. I'll repeat that. Godhead, Godhead is um, purpose. No, excuse me. Possessed. Godhead is possessed by all three persons equally. It is by virtue of this that God is unity in Trinity. Um, last quote. I want to make a statement and open it up to any questions. This is the last one here, it says, to reflect upon God and his three in oneness, father, son, spirit, in their distinguishable persons and functions, yet perfect unity and harmony and mutual, everlasting love is to catch a vision of something so unspeakably glorious, even beautiful and attractive that it has ever and again down the centuries move men and women to the heights of adoring worship, love and praise. So, brothers and sisters, we serve a trinitarian God. We serve we serve God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right? And and when we're when we're when we're praying and the Lord answers our prayer, all three persons of the Trinity have agreed that this is what brings them the most glory in answering your prayers. There's never any contention within the Godhead. This is why, and I'm not going to get it here, but this is why when people oppose the doctrine of election, they run into a lot of problems with the Trinity. And I'm not going to go there, but you, you end up having people saying that the Son and the Father agree But the Spirit hasn't made up His mind whether or not this person is a good candidate to save. You see what I'm saying? It becomes more of the person's sovereignty rather than God's sovereignty. Right? So it's very vital. We have to understand there's a unison within the Trinity. They all agree. The Holy Spirit isn't upset that you got saved and God the Father is like, we got him. You know, this is the one we wanted. They're perfectly unified, brothers and sisters. So we can rejoice in knowing that when God saves an individual and he uses us, that in eternity past, all of them were in agreement and well-pleased with the decision they came to together. This This is exciting because this is the God that we will be exploring for all eternity, whose mind we cannot comprehend, whose ways are way beyond ours. And and you know what's amazing? We love to complete projects. Right? We like to-do lists and say, did it. Yes. Completed. Let's move on to the next thing. We'll never do that with God. There is no completed project in understanding the ways and the mind of God. So for all eternity, we'll forever be in the bliss of God's presence, worshiping God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the trist holy God. Um, any questions before we close? That was rough. And, and to encourage you and myself, that was the first time I ever taught on the Trinity. Um, so I've got a long way to go, but I thank God that... I was telling Corbin earlier, Trinity is one of those topics... Now you you say you, you say the wrong word and you're a heretic. Right? You cross that line <laughs> of like heresy, um, and and there are some good uh, creeds uh, in the sixth and seventh century that um, church fathers dealt with because there was uh, a misunderstanding uh, of um, of the Trinity, uh, and people started to come up try try to understand the mind of God. They end up misdefining God according to the scripture. So we want to we want to always go back to the word of God and wrestle with these things and repeat what scripture says concerning God in the whole counsel of God's word. I would like so, to expand a little bit on what you said please. about you know, we're finite beings, and when we get in heaven, we have our perfect bodies. We we're in our perfect bodies. We still are finite, and God is infinite. And we can be there a trillion trillion years and still not know God in, in any fullness, and not be no closer than we were when we started. That's the God that we serve. Amen. He's huge. Yes. He's big. There'll always be an infinite God, yeah. uh-huh. even yeah. if you live infinitely in heaven. He's infinite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm mixing that professor. Exciting. Don't infinite out yeah it's exciting and it is is convicting because I doubt him I don't believe his word you know I sin willfully right and I need to confess that and I try to hide from him Adam where art thou right we're trying to hide from this God who's everywhere all the time and we're trying to hide from him it's better that we just say, Lord, I confess my sin. I turn away from this God. Forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. in First John, you confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive me, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So any other comments, or questions, or thoughts? Uh, one thing you said there, right at the last, just, just rocked me. It says, I mean, it was like, which, which way will God do it? And with and, and the answer was whichever way brings him the most glory now that's just a hard thing for me to realize sometimes you know just in my almost little selfish world You know it's all about me and not forget about you know my reward should be god's glory you know whichever which way god gets the most glory for it should be what i strive for what i what should be my reward mm-hmm. you know and it's just hard to get and, it, and it, then it just gets me into, into a place where I, how, how simple I know I am, how lost I am, how, how a fallen creature I am. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah and, and you know, and that's we talk about. Cults, cults cling to passages and not the whole counsel of God. Mm-hmm. So we want to be careful of that because that's that's a vital truth. But that can lead into us thinking we don't have we're not responsible for anything. That's the whole other side of the spectrum. God's gonna do whatever He wants to do to bring the most glory. That's true, Amen. That's one hundred percent right. But we're responsible beings, and we're gonna give an account to this sovereign God. So, yes, my mind is hurting. Seriously, trying to think. You ready? You can't. You think, you think you got it, you know? And it's like, and you, you got you got, you got know Romans 9, that's cool, but you really don't, uh? and you do, but you really don't. Because although you you, you exegete the text properly and, and, and God is pleased, even, and this is a whole other topic, even our language is weak, right? Even our language is weak. So we try to give analogies about God. He's like a father and a son. And you know, or he's like a preacher, or he's like ice and water and vapor. No, he's not. None of those analogies work, all of them fall short because language can't comprehend or utter the fullness of who God is. Um, so anyway, all right. Well, let's close in word prayer and then just any random conversation you want to have about the topic. We'll have. Um, um, but it's fun, and, and hopefully, this stirs us up. It's, it's encouraging and makes you just want to weep in His presence. And say, God, you love me. You love me, God. Thank you. So Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you again, and we're just so humbled, God. God, um, we come to you as little children. We whisper in ear, God, like little children, Lord, we just say we love you, God. God, we're so simple, God. Forgive us, Lord, for we know Jesus Christ. He gave us his spirit. And oftentimes we find ourselves willfully rebelling against him. Oh, God, have mercy on us. Be patient with your people, God. God, is there any wonder why you use us? And yet, Lord, we are your joy, and your crown, God. We praise you, Lord, that you chose to condescend from heaven to earth, take on the form of flesh, live on our behalf and die on our behalf, buried with risen from the grave, and now you ascend on high, interceding for us. And you promise, Lord, that at the right time you will return for us and that we will dwell with you forevermore, worshiping you for all eternity, forever learning and growing and worshiping and bowing down before you, Lord, thank you for the taste that we have here and now, Lord. Lord, that picture that we have in our minds that the scriptures give us about having fellowship with you, God, when we hold on to that, and when we desire to grow in that, Lord. Lord, the sweetest time of fellowship here on earth is just the speck in eternity, God. Let that encourage us, God, to grow evermore in your word. Lord, let that encourage us to proclaim your name to the lost, that others, Lord, would come to know you and worship you, God. That we would all cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. We love you, Father. We ask all this in Christ's name. Hey,